0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Thanks for coming out and for observing the restrictions. Look forward to when that is not in force. But it's it's wonderful to be able to do things as unto the Lord. He receives it as unto Him, and undoubtedly we have our reward by His grace. So, and we have rewards now to be with one another, to have fellowship in his name, and uh, praise him. What a holy God. It's like we have, he has those living creatures that are nonstop, day and night, do not rest, singing holy, holy, holy to God, and yet he listens to us, and he knows our hearts and, and desires for us to draw near to him so he can reveal himself to us, that we can walk with him by faith. A couple of announcements before we get started um, there is a roster with signups outside uh, that Trudy's prepared, so if there's an area where you'd like to serve, uh, please see that and put your name down. And also, after service today, get your tea, coffee, uh, whatever's on offer, and then Anna, she's not just a talented drummer, but she'll be sharing with us about Planted, uh, which is a ministry she leads that targets, it's really seeking to bring Christ to young people, to bring encouragement uh, for Christians who are following Jesus, and uh, it's a great, great to hear what the Lord is doing and how we can be involved with that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are an awesome God. There is no one like you. There is, you are beyond and above all. You are holy and awesome in your ways, and we delight to draw near to you now. By faith, we seek you. Please have your way in our hearts as you fill us with your spirit, as you uh, show us our need and our helplessness apart from you, that without you, we can do nothing. Thank you that you have given us life and that you—it it is an abundant life you give us. And thank you for the rewards you give to those who walk by faith and not by sight. And I pray that we'd have understanding of your truth today, that it would be rehearsed in our minds throughout the week, that we would be strengthened in faith and encouraged as we hear what you have to say to us, in Jesus' name, amen. We'll begin in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 30. I went to high school at Grossmont High in San Diego. We had a cross-country team, and so the sports were a little different there, where uh, each neighboring school would compete weekly during the season, and in the local paper, we would read up on the team that we were gonna uh, run against, and you'd see their times, and get a good feel for the competition. And one week, our coaches decided to change the layout of our home course. It was, it was going to be an easy win on paper, and it seemed like, uh, you know, like, let's just try this out. This is the right time to try it, because of the competition we'll be facing, and we were confident. I was not one of the top four, but we had our, so the way it works is there's seven players on each team, and you basically add up their places, and whoever has the low score wins, and our first four were in front of their number one. We're just crushing them, basically. But the problem was, our people up front, they didn't know the way, and they ran the wrong direction and had to go back, and had to run a couple extra Ks, and uh, the team lost. That went on to win the comp, but we lost to that team, because we expended effort in the wrong direction. Like you need to to go the right way if you want to win the race. That statistically inferior team, because they went the right way, they finished the race and they won the day. And we have in chapter 11, these examples of people who placed their faith in God. By faith, they lived their lives. They, They walked in the way that pleased him and they demonstrated it by the choices they made talks about Abel and Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, they're highlighted in this passage. Sarah, people who by faith did great things because they trusted God who empowered them. They ran their race and received his approval, his condemnation, not condemnation, commendation. And that's what you want, right? You want to be approved by God. You want him to say, that's my guy. That's the one to whom I'm looking, that one with a contrite heart, the one who trembles at my word. He's the one I will use. She's the one that I look upon. These looked to the God who is invisible, who made promises to them, who they knew he would be faithful to keep. Even though they didn't see the answer, they didn't see the the end, he brought them there by his grace. They were persuaded he was able to perform all he had promised things that were impossible. They trusted him and he helped them. Hebrews 11, verse 30, picking up that passage there. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. It says, by faith, the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, the Jordan River, Because of unbelief, the Hebrews that crossed the Red Sea, they did not enter into Canaan for 40 years. They were led by the Spirit of God. God provided for them in the wilderness. And after the death of Moses, they crossed over the Jordan. It was a time where the Jordan River would have been very deep. And no one would have been expected to cross at that time. But by faith, the priests who carried the ark, it says when the soles of their feet touched the Jordan River, God said to walk over it, when their feet touched the water. The waters began to pile up in a heap on one side, and the whole nation was able to walk through on dry ground. Jericho was that first stronghold the Hebrews encountered, and God would fight for them. It says that Joshua was met by the captain of the Lord's army. He was taught that day that he was not in charge. It was God who was uh, leading them. And you think people in Jericho, like, wow, the Hebrews have crossed the Jordan, all of them. They're little ones. their animals. That's impossible. They shut up their gates. They allowed no one in or out, and God delivered the city in a miraculous fashion because for six days, he said, walk around the city once each day, and on the seventh day, go around seven times, and at the sound of the ram's horns, the, the, the signal, everyone shout, and the walls will fall down and God will give you the city. And that's exactly what happened. The seventh day, circle seven times, go in, they take the city, all perished, except for one woman, Rahab, and her family. Rahab the harlot was spared, and her story begins long before the walls fell. Prior to crossing the Jordan, Joshua sent two spies into Jericho to check it out, to see the lay of the land, and they stayed at her accommodation, Word came to the king that she was harboring spies and said, Bring out those two men that have come to you. And instead of bringing them out, she hid them and she uh, told them to leave. So she let them escape and then directed the king's men in the wrong direction. Why don't you turn to her words in Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 8? And we can see her belief in God. Joshua 2, verse 8. She's going to be speaking to the two spies. It says, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any one because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you. Swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Notice here that Rahab does not speak about crossing the Jordan, which they just did. She speaks of them crossing the Red Sea. That had happened over 40 years before when Moses led them out of the children of Israel. It's The defeat of Sihon and Og, those were Amorites on the other side of the Jordan many, many years before. She attributed the Hebrews' deliverance from Egypt and slavery to their great God, their victory over these kings because of God, that their God was so great, no one could withstand him. And she acknowledged that My people are terrified of your awesome God because he's God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And this isn't just what she heard, it's what she believed. And because she believed that, she asked that God would spare her family, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters. She had no understanding of doctrine. The law had not yet been given, but she had faith in God and was rendered righteous by her faith, though a harlot. She received by faith and released those spies. She was not destroyed like those who did not believe. So it's clear that she did believe. And God was gracious to send word and give opportunity for all those years. Like if she heard about what had happened all the, 40 years ago, and it gave her faith then, all of Jericho had the opportunity to also trust in that great God who is God in heaven above and earth beneath. And really all are without excuse. It says, uh, Paul said in Acts 17, Jesus is risen, his word has gone out. The heavens declare the glory of God, David wrote in Psalm 19. And we're assured by scripture, those who seek God with their whole hearts will find him. And he's looking for faith. He's looking for people that trust him. Continuing in Hebrews 11, 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. The writer saying, there's not enough time to describe everything and all the people who have followed God and the things they've done by faith in him. He does drop some names, however, of Hebrews that they would, the Hebrews would have been knowledgeable of. And the testimony of Scripture, it just scratches the surface of the many who have followed Christ by faith. And I love the inclusion of Rahab the harlot and others because where some find fault, God sees faith. We have a tendency to cover the flaws of those who we esteem. We kind of explain it away or try to hide it. We don't put that on their resume. Right? There's things that you would not divulge about yourself unless you had to, but is described as Rahab the harlot. She's justified by faith in God, but how Rahab's life changed after being saved from death in in Jericho, that's not being dealt here. The impact is not to justify sin, but to show God is gracious even to save a harlot, even to save people who are aliens from the commonwealth, people who were doomed to destruction like all those in Jericho there there was salvation for them. There was forgiveness for them. There was life for them by faith in God. And the irony of the inclusion of all these names is if it wasn't for this passage, their lives could be defined by or summed up by something very different, not by faith. But that's the way that they're put here. Being, Being a person of faith in God is not a claim to sinlessness These were all used by God. One part that is consistent within them all is they were all used by God in battle to win battles. These great exploits were done by faith in God. Gideon, he defeated the host of the Midianites. That was more than the sand of the sea, it seemed, uh, with 300 men. By faith in God. By faith in God. Barak went with Deborah the prophetess and overthrew Sisera and all his chariots and horsemen. Samson... He exhibited supernatural strength and one day killed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, and he killed more Philistines in the day of his death than over 20 years of being a judge in Israel. By faith, he did that. By faith, Jephthah, he was a valiant son of a harlot, but God gave him a great victory over the Ammonites. And he kept his vow to God by faith, even though it cost him the life of his only daughter. By faith, David slew a giant. And by faith, he did not slay Saul when he had the chance. By faith, Samuel anointed Saul king, and by faith, he anointed David king when Saul was still alive. And he's like, if he hears about this, he's going to kill me. God said, do it. And he did. Faith in God to move that. It moved them to do what they did, and they were successful and saved by faith in God. And faith in God, it's not limited to those who have notoriety or have done these great exploits only. Not all have the chance to fight a giant with the fate of the nation hinging upon your victory. Uh, you've had, not had a lion roar against you in a vineyard. It's probably not happened to you. It hasn't happened to me. I haven't been thrown to the lions like Daniel where uh, these, these hungry, pretty stirred up lions are looking for lunch. And Daniel's thrown to them because he continued to pray three times a day when the king said, no praying to anyone except to me. We haven't been threatened to be thrown into a fiery furnace that's heated seven times hotter than normal because we refuse to bow down to an image, right? That we have not had these experiences. Some have never had a word of prophecy to be spoken to a hard-hearted king or even to a group of believers from the Lord where you're like, Lord, I, I have to just lean on you because I don't know what to do here. And I'm just going to say it because I believe you told me to. And I'm going to trust you. But we have needed saving from sin and death. We have been lost. We have been weary and wounded. And the life of faith, it's often lived away from the eyes of other people. There's no notoriety involved, perhaps even infamy from the world's perspective, where we're dealing with our sins as God deals with us. That's what a lot of Christianity is about. Forgiving those who have wronged us. Telling the truth when lying would provide seemingly an an easy escape. Choosing to love when our flesh could justify holding a grudge or hating on somebody. When we realize that those little things, they have massive implications, that it's faith in God we need, not our boldness or our courage. We need him. We need him. Or else our efforts will not be fruitful. There's a lot of pitfalls to faith because we do put a large emphasis on learning the Bible, reading the Bible. We can make knowledge a cheap substitute for faith. Like, because I know this doctrine well, obviously I'm trusting God, but that's not the case, is it? Those two can be very divided. The the Pharisees, they knew the truth of God's word, but they did not place their faith in Christ, so they weren't forgiven. Doing a good work with a hope to aim, that aim to earn favor with God, that's another pitfall. That repentance, it's an evidence of faith, it's not a substitute for it. Continuing in Hebrews 11, 35, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. There's several times in the Bible where people did have their uh, family members raised to life. They were revived. A couple of notable Old Testament occurrences were with Elijah and Elisha. One of them is Elijah. He was being sheltered by a widow and her son. And one day her son fell ill and passed away. And 1 Kings 17, 18, it talks about her anguish. This is what she said. What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to repentance and to kill my son? She was really hurt and angered by what happened. She believed that the, the word of the Lord had spoken to Elijah that she would, be, she would have food while she housed him during the famine. But when she had this terrible trial, she had this guilty conscience that she was being punished by her son's death. So Elijah, he takes the son to his room. He stretches his body upon him and prays. God raised the child to life. And then the woman said in 1 Kings 17:24. Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So God used that ordeal to strengthen that woman's faith in God and to see her need for him, one who initially blamed Elijah and God for her loss. So the triumph of faith, it's not just in winning a battle. It's not just beating giants or overcoming death of the body, but by what appears to be defeat, right? Something can look like a defeat, but it's actually the greatest victory. And it's not the kind that will make the front page of the paper or get you, you know, like, wow, that was great, great that you did that. For faith in God, people were tortured. They are being tortured. And the imagery of this word, it's to be stretched across a drum and beaten. That's the picture with this word tortured. And it's like, they made a choice to be tortured, Rather than to deny Christ, knowing that they would be bountifully rewarded with His presence and eternal life, they endured mockings, scourgings, beatings, imprisonment, chains, assaulted emotionally, physically, deprived of freedom, kept from their family and friends. And their tormentors would say with scorn, all this can end in a moment if you will but recant, if you will just turn your back on Jesus if you'll turn your back on God, if you'll put away that weak faith and do things how we say you should. Where is your great God now? Hurling that in their face. Now think of the mocking that Jesus endured on Calvary. He only did the will of the Father, and he was abused, he was beaten, he was bloodied, he was crucified. And his faith endured after his body gave up the ghost evidenced by his rising from the dead. Resurrected in that incorruptible, glorified body. And so believers, they count the promise of God of greater value than avoiding temporary pain because they look to him in faith. That's the way. By faith in God, they were able to endure. By faith, Jesus looked beyond Calvary to the joy before him and in dying one all. That is the victory that we have through Jesus. What strength is in him? Continuing in verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. So now we have some just really awful torment that people have suffered for faith in God and they endured through faith in God. And more than showing just the cruelty of our fellow men, it demonstrates how faith in God is infinitely greater and enduring. How about this? Do you think the prospect of being sawn in two would get you to change your opinion about something? At least reconsider? All right, if you keep saying this, if you keep believing this, you will be sawn in two. Hmm. There would be the temptation to just say what they want you to say to avoid that, right? But people said, no, I am going to continue to place my faith in God. And they faced that punishment. There's people who have done this, that they survived a brutal regime or a totalitarian state because they chose to follow along, not because they believed it was a good government that was oppressing or hurting people, but because they wanted to live. Christians want to live too, but we have life in Christ, and so people are willing to endure such torment because we have Christ, and we cannot deny him who went to the cross for us, who lives to make intercession for us, who we will spend eternity with in glory. And it says, they wandered in deserts, mountains, and lived in caves. They didn't have a shelter to call their own, and they say, it's worth it because I have Jesus, because I have him. The irony of them wandering the earth is because they knew where they stood with God. That's why they wandered. And they were destitute. They were without a home on earth because they had a home in heaven. Their heart was there. They looked to the Lord. This undying trust and loyalty to God. It's not of this world and those who mock them were not worthy to see faith lived out like this because they were seeing something that was strength from God. And these examples of suffering, they're not provided that we would feel guilty of how easy we have it or how little we have suffered by comparison. The point is to show that faith in God provides supernatural power to endure the worst and to come through like gold, refined and strengthened and joyful it reveals the faithfulness of God to sustain his people who trust in him through anything. I mean, if, if God can consi- sustain Christ through his crucifixion or someone being sawn into, well, he can help me when someone calls me a name, right? If, if someone cheats me out of money, I'm like, you know, the Lord knows and he's able to help me by faith. My faith is in him, not in the justice system. It's in him because he knows And he rewards those who trust in him. Have you guys learned that suffering in this life is not optional? We all suffer. Suffering is common. It's endemic to mankind because of sin. All suffer, but those who walk by faith in Christ, even though we're hated as he was, we have great consolation. He is our help. He is our comfort in every trial. In whatever you're going through, in the pain of your past, know that Jesus Christ has healing for you. There is wholeness in him. We can be restored. And it's not platitudes. This is real. By faith in him. Because we have people in this room who know firsthand of God's redemptive power, even in suffering. Things that you can't explain and you don't, you would never wish upon anyone, God has proved himself faithful throughout. Think about Saul. He's heading to Damascus looking to hurt Christians, looking to imprison them and torture them. And Jesus met him on the road and struck him blind. And so he's led by the hand into Damascus and he's there for three days. He eats no bread, drinks no water, and he prayed. And Jesus had said to him on the road, and I'm sure these words just rang in his head, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Go into the city and you'll be told what to do. He was led by the hand and he went there. Now God, at the same time, he spoke to a, a Christian named Ananias. In a vision, he said, go to the city. There's this man named Saul. He's praying, lay your hands on him and he'll receive his sight. And Ananias pushed back. He's like, oh, Lord, I've heard about this guy. He's no good for anybody. He's hurting Christians and he has authority. This is what uh, God said in Acts nine fifteen and sixteen. But the Lord said to him, "Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake." Isn't that an odd thing? Where it wasn't the promise of peace, not everlasting life, that, or the hope of forgiveness that caused Saul to become Paul, but how much suffering he would have for Christ's sake because his eyes were opened to the suffering of Christ for him. Changed everything. Changed his perspective about his whole life and changed the trajectory of his life. He was shown how much he must suffer for Christ and in Christ was all consolation. That Christ is worthy of that sacrifice. Being convinced of God's goodness, his promises, and his love for us, it does more than help us make sense of our suffering. Sometimes we just want to know, we, we feel like, if I just had the answer or the reason why this has happened, I can go on. It may never make sense to you why you have suffered so. But no, through faith in God, we are greatly helped. He is the one who comforts us. He is the one who helps us. We have hope in Him. And I just lift up Jesus before you now and say, look to Him. Trust in Him. Believe that He is a Savior. He is a deliverer and a redeemer and a restorer of souls. God has purposes, even in the fiery trial he allows. It says in 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Think of the children of Israel. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And the testimony of God bringing them out brings this Harlot Rahab to faith in the living God where she is saved. She's delivered. Because of the suffering and God's deliverance, now she believes in God. For 40 years, the Hebrews, they lacked a land of their own as they followed God through the wilderness. His his presence led them and their faith was tested to the point they could, their faith was strong enough to cross the river. And to walk around Jericho and to follow God's commands and enter into the inheritance he had for them. The believers in Peter's day, they faced such persecution. They were scattering because of the the killings and the the tortures and the the imprisonments. And Peter says, don't view trials or suffering like a foreigner, but a welcome guest. God promised that guest is going to visit someday. So don't be surprised when it happens, when it comes calling. But look to the Lord, trust in him. There is help in him and hope. This is pretty cool. Blind Saul, in prayer, he sees Ananias coming, laying hands on him, Acts 9, 17 and 18. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may recover your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. Think of the trade. Saul is blind for three days. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten or drank anything for three days. But how does this begin? Brother Saul. Brother he, he is now a brother. He has a word from the Lord. He, he receives his sight and more because his eyes have been opened to Christ, and now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been forgiven of all his sin. He has eternity with God promised him. That's a good trade-off, Man. When we suffer for Christ, our future joy, it's like it stacks exponentially. And that knowledge makes us rejoice now, even while we're suffering. Christian, are you by faith rejoicing today? You're rejoicing in your Lord Hebrews 11, 39. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. These mentioned by name and many others by faith in God, they had a good testimony of God. God said, I approve. I approve of this faith. This is my son. This is my daughter, whom I love. But they didn't experience the full I guess the full power of, or the full, fullness of the promise yet, there still remains a rest for us and there's still a perfection yet to be entered into. It's like Abraham, he died before he possessed the land as his own. He died before he saw his descendants as numerous as the stars in heaven or the, uh, the sand of the seashore. Jacob and Joseph, they died before their bones were carried out of Egypt. Moses, he died before he met the Messiah that he prophesied about. He said, there's a prophet coming after me. You, should listen. you need to listen to him. He never, saw, he never got to meet Jesus in his life. They only saw dimly the truth that's been revealed to us through the Scripture, through his word. They're having gone before us by faith in God. It's better for us because we can see their endurance. We can see their deliverance. We can see like, wow, God saved David. He helped Daniel. He gave wisdom to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand strong. It's like they're walking next to us as we go through this life. We have so much more to place our faith in because Jesus has come. He has spoken. He has revealed himself. And he sent the Holy Spirit to fill us and give us understanding of his truth. We've seen the life of Christ through his word, the death, the resurrection of Christ, the gospel, the fulfillment of prophecy. We've been born again ourselves, like we have been changed through faith in Christ. And we have the testimony of other faithful believers, like even in Fox's Book of Martyrs or in our own experience, where we say, you know, the Lord has brought that person through so much and he's faithful. Those who have gone before us into eternity shall not be perfected apart from us, for we all await the new heavens and new earth that God will make. It's like we get to go into it together for the first time. It's really cool. When I went to a new high school, they had some people, previous students who were there who showed us the ropes and said, all right, this is where you go to lunch, and this is uh, where your locker is. Okay, it made the big campus seem a lot smaller. Same thing when you get hired for a new position or a role at work. There's people who are already there. Um, it's not like when you get hired, you're all going into a brand new building together that no one has entered. No, there's, there's cubicles and desks and people that are already established, and you just kind of get to join. It's like when I went to a conference, and I was a day later than everyone else, and they had all chosen the good bunks, and there was like the creaky top bunk that was left. And uh, it's like they already knew each other. I kind of felt like an outsider saying, well, okay. By the third or fourth day, started c- connecting with them a little better. But heaven, going to heaven will not be like that for us, where it's like they are got to show us the ropes. There's still things that need to be accomplished in God's plan that when the, the new heavens and new earth have not been made because this, this earth that we're on has not passed away, and we get to enter into that together and meet the Lord in a new way where it's like, that's all gone. It's done and dusted. The judgment for believers has happened at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, where we either gain reward or suffer loss. The great white throne of judgment has happened. That's still yet to happen. Where books are opened and the Old Testament saints, as well as uh, those who are unregenerate, they're awaiting judgment. The heaven and earth will flee away, dissolve, and the new heavens and new earth. We get to go into that together with them. Oh, I look forward. There's not going to be a smug soul in heaven. It's like, oh, just you wait and see. It's going to be cool. This is going to blow you away. It really wowed me when I saw it. No, we get to like, wow, the God who makes all things new. We are in him, one, forever. Awesome. Beyond words. Hebrews Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. We have this conclusion now. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him... Who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls? The writer of Hebrews, he concludes What we ought to do, having been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, or cloud of martyrs, is that word. When you're in a cloud, it obscures your vision, right? I kind of like the idea of a kid, you're in a plane, you're going through the clouds, we're in the cloud. I can only see the cloud from far away, but now we're in it and we can't see anything. Are we going to come out? (laughs) We did come out of the cloud. But see, being in this cloud of witnesses, it actually gives us clarity on looking to Jesus and, and understanding this life of faith. Believers who have passed into eternity, it ought to make us more focused on gaining the prize ourselves, not focusing on them and their accomplishments, kind of lauding or honoring them when it's God who's worthy of all honor. A runner during a race, can you imagine you have a hundred meter race and the gun goes off and do you then go, where's mom or where's dad or where's grandma? No, no. You're focused on your lane. You are focused on the finish line. You're not looking around to see who's watching because you won't win the race that way. So if you want a race to win, if you want to to get to the, the end first, get your personal best, you look at the finish line. And it's very important we lay aside every weight and hindrance Because we don't know where this finish line is going to be for us. It will come unexpectedly and suddenly where we go, it's over. And we never saw it coming. We lay aside every weight and hindrance and the sin. And I like that it says the sin. Because in context, what we've been talking about almost through the whole book of Hebrews is the danger of unbelief, which is a sin. Lay aside your unbelief. It is easy to start being weighed down by unbelief. It keeps us from entering into God's rest. It keeps us from the inheritance God has for us. It stunts our fruitfulness. It makes us weak and fearful in the fight. And it keeps many from eternal life in heaven. So he's saying, Christian, don't let your life be plagued by unbelief. Don't give space to the unbelief of sin. The sin of unbelief. Man, I am inspired by the testimonies of Christians who live by faith in God, but we're to be looking to Jesus. That's what he says. He doesn't go, you know, Think, consider Moses and all that he went through. Consider Joshua or Jacob or the difficulties. No, yes. They are good examples for us, but we are looking to Jesus. We're not looking to other people. We're looking to Christ because he's the one who is our source of life. He is our source of help. Those other saints, they cannot help you. They cannot intercede for you. Jesus Christ can and he does. He lives to make intercession for you. And what is he? He is the author and finisher. Ever read a book and you're like, I have no idea what this means. You're going through English class or professors like, What's the intent of the author? You're like, well, it'd be really nice to talk to the author. <laughs> the author would be able to clue me in, and then people are saying what the author meant, and you're like, I don't think that's true. That's crazy. But if you could talk to the author, you could know the intent. You could know what was meant by things. The finisher, you've read a book halfway through. You got tired of it, and you don't mind spoilers, and you're like, well, how does it end? How would you know that? Well, by talking to someone who has finished the book. That's how you know how it ends, right? How does the story end? Tell me. Well, Jesus, he is the author and finisher of our faith. He authored it and he's finished it. He sat down at the right hand of God. He's like, do you want to see how to live life? Do you want to see how to walk in victory and strength and endurance without discouragement or weariness? Look to Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, a terrible punishment, being separated from the father for sin and rose immortal, empowered and glorious. It's like if you want to be, if you want to sit with him someday, you need him to get there. You can't do it by trying. It's by the grace of God through faith in him That we have that privilege. It's grace. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So we lay aside the sin of unbelief. We lay aside all other sin and we consider Jesus. We meditate on him. We think about him. We seek him. We wonder in awe of what he has accomplished. And how glorious he is. And in light of all the people who have gone before, the writer says, consider him. There's a lot of things that we could be speaking about. But Jesus, he's the one we consider. The one who can save us and redeem us. So are you weary, believer? Are you discouraged? We have here the cure, the antidote for weariness and discouragement. And a guard against it. Consider Jesus. When we get discouraged and weary and weak, we're often looking to our own inadequacies. What's happened to us? What's out of our control? Laments, griefs, sorrows, regrets. Look to Jesus now. Contemplate him, wonder and marvel over him. And by faith, follow him without a thought for yourself because he is worthy. In him alone is strength for life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the Christ. He is the son of God. He is victor. He is supreme. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that there's nothing you need to do to convince us of the truth, but it's we who need to humble ourselves and receive it. And thank you that you bid us to consider Christ today, to look to him, to trust him by faith to uh, confess our sins, by faith to walk in godliness and holiness, by faith to take heart in what Jesus has said and all he has done, knowing that we have this glorious reward of your presence now and heaven forever. Thank you for the redemptive aspects of suffering, Lord, that when we suffer for Christ... In you is great consolation. Lord, I pray for those hurting hearts, for those who, are, who feel far from you, I pray that they would draw near to you by your grace. Thank you that you've done everything through Christ that we can receive the healing and hope and wholeness that is available by grace through the gospel. And uh, Lord, I, th- I thank you that it is a sure expectation that one day we will be with you we will be glorified in your presence. We will celebrate you forever. And I thank you that we can start now that you put a smile on our face, you put joy in our heart. And even though we might weep today, there is joy in the morning when Jesus died on the cross that he, he for the joy who went before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. He shrugged it off and is now at the right hand of the Father, sitting down. And Lord, may we rest in that place. May we rest in you. Have your way in our hearts, dear God. And thank you for your glorious power, your redemptive strength, and your goodness in Jesus' name, amen.